Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast and another beautiful conversation with my wonderful friend and colleague, Danny Willow. Danny, hi. Thanks for coming back again today. Hi, Joss. Thanks for having me again. How are you? How's your week been? Yeah, it's been busy. It's been a busy week, but really beautiful, beautiful things always happening. How about yours? Yeah, also. (laughs) (laughs) It's like beautiful and busy. Yes, indeed. (laughs) So today we are going to have a conversation about something that often comes up in sessions with parents, and that is around supporting close connections and close attachment between both parents of a child. So between mother and child and between the partner or the co-parent and the child too. And we're going to be using examples from our own stories. And we're going to be talking often about dads and dads connection to babies. But of course, we want to acknowledge that, you know, what that looks like in your family might be different. It could be that you are in a same sex relationship. It could be that the father of your children is a co-parent rather than a partner. And the same things will apply regardless of what the unique situation is of your family. So I just want to start off by saying that. But this is something that comes up often in sessions, isn't it, Danny, that Mm. people are struggling with? Could be that it's a very young baby and they're struggling to to leave the baby with with the partner or the the co-parent. It could be that the child is older and, and they're struggling to support the other parent to be connecting with attachment play or listening to feelings. Could be struggles to bring the partner on board with aware parenting and understanding this approach, but it comes up a lot, doesn't it? so much I think almost in every session there's some element of one of the things you just touched on sort of weaved in and and often you know as you and I always say it's it's often the mothers who are at home and the way the system has been designed is that we're kind of at home being the full-time carers and we're really involved in this and we're really you know we're really drawn to it and we want to do the best and we you know might be buying all the books and listening to all the podcasts and joining all the communities and, you know, Facebook groups and asking questions and having sessions with the instructors. And then we sort of start to try and integrate that into the home. And often that's where we start to find that there are little bits and pieces that are tricky to navigate. So I think it's really beautiful that we're going to speak about this topic today. Yeah. And I think it's also really lovely that we think about I mean, at the moment in our world, it is usually the mother who is at home with the baby and it is usually all all the children and usually the partner who is not there. And it's usually the mother who is really, really passionate about aware parenting. And I think the more that this work is done and the more that we're raising our children in this way, the more likely it's going to be that uh, as our children grow up, both genders and both partners in a relationship are going to be hopefully equally interested in in parenting in this way and equally committed to offering that compassion because that's what they've received as children too. But at the moment in our culture, it's much more common that it's the mother who's wanting to reach out for support. It's the mother who is deeply passionate about aware parenting and who is willing to, to explore this more, to learn, to do their own healing work as part of this journey. 
not always, mm. but most commonly that way. Yeah, yeah, I really agree with that. Yeah. So should we start right at the beginning with babies? Because this yeah. is where it all starts, really. Yes. And so often we hear from mothers that, for example, whenever they are not holding their child or whenever they give their child to somebody else, that child will start crying or that the child won't cry with the mother and will only cry with the father or the the partner so yeah that where where would you, how is that in your family what, what do you want to share about that Danny? yeah i think it's i think it's really common isn't it that often if we didn't come to where parenting as babies we'll see it as older children but i think it's really nice that we start at the beginning where maybe people if you do have babies in your home at the moment that you know this can be really supportive for you and I think for me, there was this really deep, like protecting mama bear, like not wanting to give the girls over to Clint, like this, like, nah, he can't do it and he's not doing it. And so I'm going to do everything. And I think that's quite common in some of like the attachment parenting that, you know, the mother has to be really selfless and just give over everything of herself to meet the baby's needs. And um, and that's definitely what I found, you know, with Marley when I wasn't, you know, I had to know about aware parenting, but I was definitely practising sort of like an attachment gentle style parenting. And I remember like he used to come home from work and he'd walk in and I'd say, oh, it's her sleep time now. You can't talk to her and like take her into the bedroom and just, you know, and, and he brought it up with me later on down the track just about, you know, that I really try and keep her away from him. And and it's interesting, right, because over time, you know, as she got older and, you know, she had a dummy and lots of other things that I've, you know, lots of other control patterns that I've spoken about um, in other podcast episodes with you, but I definitely found that, you know, I, I became my body and me became the control pattern because I'd really not re- allowed her to feel anything. And when she was with him, there was this deep, like really, really deep, deep crying and I didn't really feel like he could hold that. And there was, and at the time it wasn't really safe for her to cry. I was still very much of that mindset of like, oh, this doesn't feel safe. So very different with when Kiki came along and I'd found a way of parenting and I wanted to get everyone's needs met, particularly my own, so that I could listen and that deep trust in all the dynamic in the way people show up. And but to start, I think that I, I was very much not willing to let him do very much and really sort of offer any sort of connection, but like foster any connection between them. It was very much like I'm the mum and I've got to do everything. Yeah, yeah, I really hear that. That was the same for me too. I was so passionate about attachment parenting and being the mum and responding to everything and always meeting his needs and just holding him all the time and never letting him cry. I really never wanted to let him cry. And I I thought the fact that he never cried was meant that I was doing mothering right and just so, so deeply wanting to do that all myself and Mm -hmm. feeling that that's what I should be doing too in order to be a good mother. And I think when we think about the perspective of raising our children in our little nuclear families, if we were still living the way that we evolved to live in community and tribes, it would be completely normal for our child from birth to have multiple attachments, multiple close, Mm. secure, attuned attachments with many adults and lots of children too, right from the beginning. So it's 
the circumstances of our life don't support that either, do they? And then, yes. of course, as mums, we're trying to do it all and thinking that we have to do it all, and then we just reach breaking point and the resentment kicks in because we're completely overwhelmed because we were never designed to do it all. So finding ways to support mothers to find ways for their partners to be involved in that process right from the beginning and knowing that they can support children right from the beginning in this beautiful way with aware parenting can be really empowering and liberating for mums who are otherwise exhausted doing it all themselves. Yeah, I really love that you brought that point in because I think it's so true, right? Like we weren't designed to be able to do it all. And the idea of the idea of not, you know, that when they don't cry, it feels really good. Like you think, oh, they're so that means that I'm meeting all their needs. And but then it's not the truth, right? It, we know from an aware parenting perspective that children are having, particularly babies not having these beautiful regular crying and healing sessions that then there are accumulated feelings and there's stress and you know there's birth trauma that babies experience from conception and then coming through the womb you know even in a in a natural birth so it's if we're not allowing them that space to express regularly then of course we're going to move to a place where they're going to be deeply deeply suppressed as we both experienced with our first children and and also that that's not to place any shame or any guilt on anyone who's listening to this because we both you know were there and it's just the information that we had at the time Mm -hmm. and what we felt like was best in that moment and you know there was I, I do believe that sometimes those ways play out and they serve a purpose you know I do feel like part of me was deeply healed by offering something that I was never received as a baby so I, there is a purpose and a place those sort of play the way those sort of things play out but yeah I really I really think that what we're about to speak about and how we can start to sort of play with that is really important in including our partner and having these conversations and sort of opening up ways in which we can do it together yeah absolutely and I think it's really it's really beneficial for our children to be having secure, connected relationships with our partner. And just as you were speaking there, Danny, about the healing potential and opportunity that it provides us to be doing this with our babies, it's also, of course, offering the same to our partners. So yes. the more that we can support that, the better for everybody in the family, really. But yeah. it, it's it's not easy. It's not easy to to let go of our children, literally, to let go of our babies and to to find ways to support our partners to be having these close attuned relationships with our children from an early age too. And I love how Marion talks about the the two different types of feelings and uh, crying that we of we see from babies and that it's a needs needs feelings that they're expressing or feelings feelings and that I don't think feelings feelings is the term that she uses but you know you know what I mean and getting really clear on that can be complicated initially when we first bring our babies home and really understanding when our child has a need that we are required to be meeting if they are crying and we meet that need, then it is likely that they will stop crying. Whereas if they have feelings to express, as you say so beautifully, Danny, from from all of the bigness of the birth experience and the in utero stress that they experience too, then when we meet those immediate needs, our baby will will continue to cry if there's feelings there that they're trying to express. And so 
when we're distinguishing between those two things and we give our babies to our partners to hold and our baby starts crying, again, it's an invitation for us to tune into what do we think is is really here? Is it a needs feeling that they're expressing when they're being held by the partner? Or is it an opportunity to, that they're taking to connect in with the, the feelings, feelings that they're wanting mm. to share too? Mm. I'd say I'm just like, so tricky that that whole navigating because I think you know the baby comes out and they already know who they are they already know what they need they've got that whole system inbuilt and that's you know designed to communicate with us and share what's happening for them and it's what the hard part is us and how we bring our own stories from our own childhood and what that means what we make the crying mean what happened to us what we don't want to do again we've got to spend a lot of time unpacking that so we can really start to clearly understand what it is that they're trying to communicate and I think the part that gets tricky is most of us have grown up in a culture where crying is not okay you know it's it's we've got to you know keep keep everything sort of quiet a good baby is a happy baby that's you know sort of what's still very much in mainstream and so you know then we come to where parenting and we're letting them cry and it can bring up really big feelings and I think the important part is that you know you're on this journey together right that you're really learning about each other I love to say that in sessions to people that I work with like you know you are learning about each other you've only been you know this baby boy girl has only been on the earth for six months or whatever you know six weeks or whatever it is so we're, we're learning and I think what's really important you know around what you were saying before just when we do you know let our partner bath the baby or we let our partner you know hold the baby and then they might start to cry or start to whinge or be a bit unsettled or have some feelings or what we think might be feelings is to you know just to tap in and and sort of start to go and be curious around and observe and see what's really happening there you know like if you know that they've just been fed and they've had their nappy change you know we can go through our little tick list of needs of you know all those different things you know can we sort of just let go and and sort of let our partner be in that space and are they willing to hold and listen or do we feel like maybe oh they you know they had a a breastfeed quite a while ago now or maybe they're starting to get tired and we need to go into the room and do some I think it's you know as Marion says we we need to be a researcher we need to observe and see what's happening with our babies so that we can start to offer them that space to maybe release feelings if that's Mm. what's needed yeah I love that and I think it's such an invitation for reflection isn't it because as mums when we're listening to our babies crying for the first time, it brings up so much stuff for us around all of our younger parts that weren't listened to as babies and all of this cultural conditioning around what mothers should be doing and what babies should be behaving like and what it means if our child is crying about us. And then when we see our kids with our partners and they start to cry. It also brings up lots of feelings for us around, you know, is my partner really safe? Are they really able to be meeting those needs? It should be me and all of those kind of things. And similarly for our partner, when they are also experiencing this learning about what what it means when a child cries and the reasons for our babies crying, and they might be going into all that stuff around babies shouldn't be crying and it means that there's something wrong with them. And Also, their younger parts are being touched when they are holding a baby or watching us hold a baby. So there's lots and lots of layers to it that really need to be receiving 
reflection and listening and empathy and the opportunity to to express all those fears and worries so that they can get clear that actually no my baby is expressing feelings and I can listen and support them lovingly or my partner can listen and support them lovingly and I can be holding the feelings of everybody in that moment and there's so many layers to it aren't there mm. oh so so many and I think that's why it is, you know, we always come back to it as a bit of a journey that we're sort of learning alongside our partners and our babies, right? Like that it takes lots of practice and lots of reflection and discussion with with our partners, like making time for those conscious conversations to go, hey, you know, what comes up for you when you hold the baby and you have and, and they're crying and how does that feel for you and how does that feel for me and, you know, what feels good in our bodies and what do we know to be true and what are we observing in our babies after they have these big releases and I think that you know that trust in our partners comes through having these conversations you know if we can really be honest and and vulnerable and sort of go there with them then often that helps us to feel a lot more aligned and then we feel a lot more at ease with letting them hold and listen to feelings you know in those moments where we might be questioning whether it's okay or not mm, yeah and of course this is really hard if our partner doesn't understand aware parenting Yes. doesn't want to read the books, doesn't want to listen to the podcast, doesn't want to do courses, doesn't want to do sessions. I mean, I often do sessions with both parents and I love those sessions, but I do way more sessions alone with mothers than or alone with fathers than I do with couples. And so, you know, navigating that process is really difficult. We spoke about this last night in our community about how, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And that's that can be really frustrating too. So I think it's really important for us to be getting lots of listening if that's our experience in our family, that we passionately see all the beautiful things about aware parenting and we so want to be offering it to our children. But our partner is is reluctant to go there, reluctant to learn. Maybe you know, it might even be in a situation where the partner is really, really triggered and activated by the baby crying and is is starts to get really angry and annoyed with us about doing it. But you know, that's such a hard thing to navigate too, particularly when we're like, we've found this sort of hallelujah, we found aware parenting. It's amazing. I love it so much. I really want to be doing it. And we're observing the benefits immediately in our children. It can be so hard to have have a partner on the sidelines questioning, doubting, criticizing, judging, and not being willing to explore it at all themselves. Yeah, and I'm thinking back to you know my early days of aware parenting when I had both both girls and and Clint really couldn't listen to any feelings. And you know I remember being in the car and you know the car seats were always a place where they would have deep deep expressions and big feelings and. Um, I would often sit in the back, but, you know, at times they just needed to feel. And he would go, I can't, I can't drive, you know, like just so frustrated and really wanting to, you know, shush them and, you know, we need to put on the music and they need to stop. And it was tricky because I I really knew what was happening for them or was starting, I suppose, to understand what was happening for them because I was quite new to it myself. But what I what I did do was I would often just come to him and say, like, I'm really curious what was happening for you there and just slowly start to invite some conversation. And sometimes he would shut it down and not be willing. And then other times he might be more open. 
And the other thing I found really useful was just letting them have really big releases when he wasn't around. Mm. Um, You know, I was in that sense, it was he went to work every day. I was at home as the main care provider. So it was easy for me to just sort of offer lots of listening during the day when he wasn't around. Mm. Um, And at night, because he never slept with us, you know, in in the bed. So he sleeps in his own room. And so that made it really easy as well that I could sort of do listening at night when he wasn't around. And, And then I think over time it changed because he started to see particularly as they got older, when they had those really big releases and came, you know, sort of out the other side and would let you do things that maybe they weren't willing to do before or they, the way they, you know, would connect with you or cuddle you or, you know, the games we were playing. And I think just role modelling, you know, language, and we talked about that in the community, just role modelling what and how you want that relation to look like without actually explicitly saying, here, read this book or here, let's do this. And, you know, and then over time he was willing to come to, you know, Lael's introductory to aware parenting. And then he was, you know, he read Helping Young Children Flourish by Aletha Salter. And, you know, we did have some really beautiful discussions after that. And, you know, is he totally aligned 100% and everything? No, but that, you know, he's more willing and more open to doing the play and listening to feelings than he was right at the beginning. So, you know, it is a little bit of a journey. And as you said, we just have to keep coming back and trusting that they'll come along slowly, slowly, slowly. But, you know, I like to think if the roles were reversed, if, if he was shoving something down my throat saying like, you need to read this and we're doing this and this is what we're doing, it wouldn't feel good to me, you know. So, I, you know, it is a little bit about just putting the information out there and then trusting their timing with it all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was the same for us too. And I think that point about doing the listening when you're alone with the child, with the baby, can be a really helpful place to start if you're finding that it is activating your partner a lot to be hearing all of that big emotion. But I used to also do things like say, oh, my goodness, I listened to feelings today and they cried for X amount of time and it was really, really full on. And then afterwards she was just so relaxed in her body and she slept for two hours and mm. that's amazing, isn't it? Kind of, And those sorts of conversations just to keep planting the seeds and keep watering the seeds that you're planting. <laughs> it's, yes. it's just a process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. So do you want to talk a little bit now about what can happen and why I suppose the we've sort of what we tend to hear in sessions a lot which is kind of where this idea of this podcast came about was that the mother becomes you know they always cry with the partner and then partner starts to feel a bit rejected like you know oh am I doing something wrong or and the mother sort of feels like well why aren't they crying with me like what's happening so do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely well I think what can often happen is that as we are learning this approach, we often have a tendency as mothers to be feeding our child, breast, especially if we're breastfeeding. So breastfeeding our child or picking up our child when they are crying and presuming that they need to be fed or that they need to be soothed by being held as we are starting to apply this aware parenting approach in our families. And as a result of that, think what often happens is that we misread our children's like healing feelings as being needs feelings. And so that sets up a pattern for our children of us being a source of suppression 
of their feelings. And again, like so much compassion to to all mothers and all partners and all parents around this, because this is really nuanced and complicated stuff that we're trying to do. I'm so excited for Marion's amazing book on this, because I think it's going to really, really help people to understand this more deeply. But it is complicated to tease out. So there's no judgment and there's absolute compassion for you. And I did it too. All the time, my kids both had control patterns around breastfeeding and around me and my body. And as a result of that, it is often the case that our children start to find it easier to express their healing feelings with our partner and therefore cry more as soon as their partner picks them up than they do with us. And so what we can often do is then misread that when our partners are holding our children, it's because they our babies need us and want to be with us. But actually, it's often because being held by a partner who isn't breastfeeding and whose body hasn't become a source of, of suppression is actually allowing the feeling the access to the feelings to then be able to heal. So, yeah, do you want to say more about that? Because you found that beautiful paragraph in the Wear Baby book. Do you want to say any more about that? Yeah, I might just read a little bit from from Alifa's book. So this is her Aware Baby book and it's under Chapter 7, Attachment, on page 219. And right at the bottom she says, if your baby always clings to her mother and refuses to be left with her father or other family member whom she has known since birth, this could be an indication that she has a control pattern associated with her mother's body, assuming, of course, that the father or relative is a warm and nurturing person. And she goes on to talk a little bit about when her son was one year old and he would cry really hard when he was left with his father. And it seemed that he, you know, wanted her. And that as soon as he was in back in Aletha's arms, he would often, you know, stop crying. And um, she says that often her father would hold him anyway, you know, if I wanted to take a shower, for example, and let him cry as long as he needed afterwards. He was a lot less clinging with me and quite happy to be with his father. And in fact, these crying sessions actually helped the two of them form a deeper bond with each other. And this was during a period when which Aletha's nursing him was acting as a control pattern. Hmm. Um, she also goes on to say that some fathers feel rejected when their babies cry with them. You know, keep in keep in mind that this baby the baby is using this opportunity to catch up on some of the crying that they haven't been able to have. And I think it just that really for me, that paragraph really sums it up so beautifully that, you know, as you've said, we often we are misreading those cues. And again, that is so nuanced and so complex and we are learning. So, you know, as you said, we want to just reiterate we're not shaming anyone, like total compassion. We both did it that, you know, we, we do misread it because we're not we're not um, fluent in this language. We're only learning it and we're often just reading a book and trying to experiment with how it feels for us and all the complexities that come up around that. But when we misread that, often when they go then to the father, you know, that's when or or any relative in the family and there are really big feelings, I wonder if we can sit with a bit of curiosity around what's happening here and start to unpack some of that. Is this really the baby needing me in this moment or is this maybe just about my body and the association with my body is suppressing feelings Mm. and we can start to play with that and see what that looks like Mm. yeah I love that and it comes down to to observation really again doesn't it how Marion beautifully speaks about this and the are we able to allow our child in that moment to cry with our partner 
and then let's observe them afterwards. So can just an, as an experiment, just to try it once. And if it's bringing up big, big feelings for us, can we tend to, tend to those, take care of ourselves? Perhaps we might be wanting to be in the room with them. Perhaps we might want to be right there, like saying to our child, I'm right here, sweetheart, and daddy's holding you at the moment and explaining to the baby what's going on. Or maybe we want to go out, or maybe it's at a time when we have to go out. But what is our what is the experience for our child after that? Are they relaxed? Are they making eye contact? Are they in that beautiful sort of open, supple, relaxed body? Are they sleeping more? All of those things can then reassure us that it's okay what we're doing. And this, I mean, this happened for us as well. And once we got that, the same was at night. Um, if the child woke up, if one of our babies woke up at night, then often that would be a time to be trying to allow my partner to be to be listening to some feelings if they could or the first feed the first wake at night so that i wasn't feeding them that one time but it can be a really beautiful opportunity for everybody just to observe and see what is happening for the baby and of course we don't necessarily if it's bringing up big feelings for us about our babies needing us and not being there, or if it's bringing up big feelings for our partners about being rejected, there are other ways that we can we can support this too. And and one can be for for us to be listening to more feelings at other times with our babies, so that there's there's more healing feelings happening in the family, so there's less need for them. So then they're more likely to go to somebody else without having cries. Uh, or it could be that we get the our partners to support our children with play. And I mean, I remember one of my most beautiful memories, we didn't even know about aware parenting then was Sol was, I don't know, maybe five, four or five months old. He just had a bath. And my husband used to massage him after bath time every evening and then play. And one day he had a sock in his mouth and he just blew the sock out of the way and Sol started giggling. And it was the first time that Sol just really, really went for it with giggles. And so Kamal kept on doing it again and again. And Sol was just laughing and laughing and laughing. And so, you know, that can be another thing that we support our, our partners to do so that there's lots of connection, lots of emotional safety happening in their relationship and lots of expression and, and healing through through laughter as well. So it doesn't have to be that your child it goes to your partner and they take them and they listen to the feelings. There's lots of ways that we can explore this and play with it. Mm, I love that. As you were, I love hearing that story about soul. That's so beautiful. It's so special to have that time and just see, you know, that connection growing. And I think in terms of other things we can do just to add to your list is, you know, often like um, Clint used to baby wear for me. So, you know, during the time where they needed to have a nap or um, I just needed a break, he would often, you know, put one of one of the girls in you know, in the carrier and, and take them out and go for a walk. So that can be really special if they're up for, up for doing that. And even, you know, lying to sleep, you know, that routine of it doesn't always have to be the mother, particularly if we're playing with the idea of breastfeeding as a control pattern, you can maybe alternate who lies to sleep or, you know, maybe if they're around every evening that they can be the one that first puts the baby to sleep. Or as you suggested, I love it if they wake first up once you've once you've put them off to sleep that supported them to go to sleep then yeah then then they can go in first and do that you know first night wake if you're sort of if they're willing to listen to feelings and be present so I think that's really beautiful and as you were sort of speaking before I was thinking you know when we we are supporting them to listen to feelings that you know it's really that idea that we really trust that 
that's what's happening in that moment, that it, that it is safe. And I think often saying words like, I deeply trust that you're safe with dad, like he's here with you. And, you know, I love that idea of maybe we're in the room, we're with them, you know, the baby's having a big release in dad's arms we, and we stay there and we say, I deeply trust that you're safe and I'm here and dad's here and we both love you. And maybe we do go out and, and we really trust that that, is actually happening and it's healing and it is going to form a deeper, closer connection between them as well. Mm. Um, because I think, you know, often if we, if our energy is sort of like, oh, I don't know, are they going to do it properly or is it really safe or is it really, you know, are they really going to be able to hold it or maybe even we don't trust yet that they are going to be able to do it at all and that they're just going to shush them and, you know, then I think the baby feeds off that energy and kind of goes, hang on, like you're sort of saying it's okay, but you're not really giving me the energy. So, you know, that feel of it really being okay. And so I think we have to, as you said, unpack a little bit around, you know, do we actually feel like this is really safe and that we're doing something really healing and supportive or are we actually having big feelings ourselves around that? Yeah, absolutely. And and taking those feelings to our listening partner to to offload it all is so important again and again and again mm. around that. And of course, the other thing, if we're suspecting that we might be starting to become a breastfeeding control pattern for our children, for our babies, it can be really helpful to when we're listening to their feelings and we're clear that their needs have all been met, holding them in a different position so that they're yeah. not in that cuddled like breastfeeding position can also be really helpful for me. I used to love having my knees slightly raised and my young baby's head at my knee end and, and their feet at my stomach end and to be offering them love and connection and, and you know all those lovely words and reassurance yeah. whilst listening to feelings. Or it could be that you I would lie on the bed next to them rather than to be holding them in my arms. And again, that can support them to release some feelings around breastfeeding. And of course, always as we say, observing them afterwards, how are they? And and having places for you to be able to sh- take your, like, the bigness of what you're doing and to be able to reach out to somebody, even if it's just sending a voice note. I mean, I used to send text messages all the time to, to my aware parenting uh, buddy to say, oh, my God, I've just listened to 45 fe- minutes of feelings and it was so full on, but, wow, I love this so much because she's now gone to sleep and she's so you know, finding ways to to support yourself through that process is really important. And I remember like when I went back to work when Jada was probably, I don't know, maybe two, and it was only one day a week, but every single time I left the house, she would cry mm-hmm. in the run up to it every single time. And so it, it did bring up lots of things for me. And I really did have to reach out for support from others, people around that and, and unpack all that. Oh, I'm a terrible mother for abandoning my daughter. And my abandonment stuff from my mother was coming up too. So, you know, it's it's always like this invitation to go into all of that. And, you know, we often talk in our community around, you know, playing to our strengths as parents. And I knew that, you know, one of Kamal's real strengths as parents was to be able to play and to offer attachment play and laughter and power reversal games to the kids. So I knew that even if he wasn't necessarily listening to feelings in the way that I would when I left the house and she was crying, I knew that he was he was safe and that he would be offering some play. And so she would be getting some of those needs met anyway. And yeah, it does, it just comes back again and again to trust getting listening mm. and having these conversations with our partners so that we can be reassured. Mm, yeah, I love all of that. I think it's so really 
for me, hits the nail on the head for around babies and just how we can really support them and support our partners and support ourselves. And I love that, you know, you spoke about that, the abandonment piece and how that came up for you. And again, it comes back to that idea of the parallel journey, doesn't it? Like what what our children is experiencing is often something we're experiencing at a very similar time and possibly at a similar age. And so we do need some place to unpack that, to really feel it so that we can keep showing up and going, this is actually okay. It's okay to feel this way. Yeah. I also think just, you know, from a developmental perspective until the age of three, like they, they just are going through lots of things around you know um, babies and children around separation and the brain understanding that when you go and then you'll come back and you know really supporting them to understand that and you know there you know, might be periods where things happen and we're not able to be there or you know we get stuck late at work and we're not able to do the nighttime routine and things are chopping and changing you know if we go back to what you said at the start we're not living in community it's not so easy they're not attached to multiple figures so of course there are going to be times where they have really big feelings and if that person is able, you know, like you shared with, you know, your partner showing up in that way to be able to do something, if it's, you know, often we might have a babysitter and if we've, you know, sort of shared with them about aware parenting and they can listen to feelings or they can bring in some play, then they are able to move through these things really beautifully and knowing that we will still have opportunities to listen and support them to heal from any stress or trauma that these separations are creating as well. So I think it's, you know, it's just a beautiful, it's so beautiful. The whole thing's so, so beautiful. But yeah. I love that you brought up the older children. So maybe we should, you know, head in, heading into that direction. Often people come to this, their children are already 18 months, two years, three years, four years plus. And, you know, they come to us and they say now they're really preferencing us, um, the mother, and they don't want to be with the other the other parent whether that be a father or a, you know another mother um what does you know what what do you want to say around that yeah well i think you know there's lots of things that we can do to build connection and safety between our children and us and our children and our partners and so it keeps coming back to to focusing on that and often when other children are getting a bit older, it could be that we're preparing for the birth of a new child. And so it's a really important time to be promoting that connection between our partners and our children so that those attachment needs and those connection needs are going to be met when the baby comes along and the mother is yeah. preoccupied by a new baby. So that can be a beautiful time. And that might be just a simple thing around, you know, changing the position of where people are sleeping in the bed. I remember that Sol always used to sleep on my left-hand side on the edge of the bed. And then as I was getting towards the end of my pregnancy with Jada, he started sleeping in the middle between me and Kamal so that Jada would be able to sleep on the left-hand side when she was born. So, you know, just a really simple little shift there. It could be around having a special time and organizing for our partners to be doing that non-directive child-centered play with the with our older child or with our only child if we've got one regularly to start to build that sense of connection and emotional safety in their relationship and the quality of the presence between the two of them and we used to do this thing where we which we called day together day where we would swap and so once a month, it would be me and my son spending the whole day together and my daughter and my husband spending the whole day together. And then the following month, we would swap and do it the other way around. And we did that for years. And it was a really beautiful way of, of maintaining that connection and that attuned relationship between him and them too. And I think in the end, the really important thing is for us to be getting more spaces in the world where dads can have their feelings heard so that everybody in the family is getting their feelings heard, but particularly dads, because 
Most fathers come to parenthood having never had their feelings heard, ever, not once in their life. And so yeah, it's it's inevitable that there's going to be so much stuff that is going to come up for them because it is this beautiful parallel journey and it is this beautiful opportunity for healing. And so I, I'm really so I would love there to be more fathers who are training to be aware parenting instructors and more of the fathers who are aware parenting instructors to be sharing spaces. And for those of us who are having sessions with fathers to be connecting those fathers with each other for listening partnerships and and just doing everything that we can as a community to be supporting more listening for fathers, because the more that our partners are getting their feelings heard, the more they're going to be able to show up for our children in a way that meets everyone's needs yeah that's really it's so true and you know just the whole um for men in particular often I was thinking they're not even really around children either so it's like a double whammy for them in the sense that they're not spending a lot of time around children in this sort of caretaking caring role and they're not having their feelings hurt either so they sort of come into it and it's just a whole whirlwind for them and no place to really unpack it and share so I think yeah it's really powerful if they can and yeah I think that you know if we as instructors are working with dads maybe we can find some way to connect them and and get them to have you know listening partnerships and things like that which I think can be really powerful. And I was thinking back to, you know, just around the time where I was pregnant and, you know, we were we were sleeping on floor mattresses, Marley and I, and I was lying with her to sleep every night. And I just remember saying to Clint something very similar, like, you know, the baby will come and I'm not going to, you know, often when, when it's nighttime, I'm going to need to be with the baby and so I'm not going to be able to be with Marley every night like we have. So I think, you know, it's time that you started lying with her to sleep. And I don't, you know, if, if I could go back, there were probably things I would have done differently. I probably would have, you know, spoken to her and said, sweetheart, dad's going to start lying with you to sleep and, you know, but I'm just going to be in the other room and things like that. But I think he he lay with her and I remember on the first night listening to her cry, you know, it was 45 minutes and I think I sat outside the room and, and then at like, you know, a certain point I said no I can't I have to come in and I sort of took over and then I lay with her and she went to sleep and then on the second night you know he did it again and then I sort of you know I had tears in my eyes but I sort of said I really have to trust that she's okay like she's with him he's a safe person for her he loves her he's not hurting her and really unpack what it was for me. And a lot of that was I'd been left to cry in my room when I was, you know, younger than her even. But always, like, it was very much you need to be in your room and stay in your room at night time. And that she was safe with him and that it was okay and that I trust him. I trust that that process is there and that it's going to bring them closer. And actually what it did do was it put them so close that I think I was about, I don't know, maybe 20 23 weeks pregnant or something and I ended up Clint said to me I want you to go away for a weekend and go and be with my best friend and she was pregnant as well and we went to Sydney for a weekend and it was the first time I'd really been away from her and they had the best time they slept together they you know I got photos of them eating ice cream and going to parks and just having this beautiful connection time but had I not really allowed that to take place they never would have had that. And that was really the beginning of their beautiful relationship. And that was probably, you know, Marley was, yeah, she was probably, you know, maybe 18 or 20 months. It was like just before Kiki was born. And it gave them that opportunity so that when Kiki was born, 
when she came into the world that that was already established and it was so beautiful and and Marley just loved Kiki and I think so much of that was because she didn't feel like all of a sudden this baby had come in and replaced her and that she had two you know parents who would love her and connect with her and even now we alternate who who lies you know with the girls to sleep and it feels beautiful that you know and if I go out I know equally that they're safe with him and that they'll go to sleep with him and it feels really good so it's something I think that's really important to start particularly if we do have a sibling coming in just looking at exploring how can we really foster that relationship because yeah I think when we do take a step back often it allows them firstly to have beautiful releases but also to form much much deeper connections in their relationship together yeah yeah absolutely yeah I love that all of that and as I was listening to you speaking I was really remembering and aware of how my trauma was definitely impacting my willingness for that relationship to be all that it might have been initially around abandonment and around disconnection and around not being heard myself. And so, yeah, if I if I could go back and do things differently now, I think I would just get more and more and more and more listening and have more and more and more and more sessions to, to unpack that some more because yes. it is so powerful. And I love what you were saying about giving information and explanations. I think right from the beginning, right in utero, the more we can be giving information and explanations to our to our babies, the better for them. And of course, you know, I love the attachment play, bringing that into it all. I think it's really helpful for our partners, particularly things like power reversal games when they understand the concept, because that might need a bit of explaining that all that thing around competition and, and men, often that can be an issue. But, you know, understanding the concept of power reversal games and then offering that to the children can be a really beautiful way to promote connection. And other games like the She's Mine, She's Mine game. My kids love that game. We used to play that for ages and that was a really nice one. And I just want to say something in here as well about pay- people who are not in relationship with the other mm-hmm. parent of their child because much of what we're talking about here is much easier to implement when you are together as a family than when the partner, uh, sorry, the other parent of your child is not in partnership with you. So again, even just bringing in little things around when your child goes off to the other parent, can you, you know, fill them up with love and offer lots of extra physical closeness and connection? Can you give them little love notes to take in their bag so that when they're at the other parent's house, they're still feeling connected to you? And likewise, when they come back, can you play with the co-parent and the child a bit of, of reconnection? Can you play? Can you explain to the co-parent the she's mine, she's mine game where you pretend to kind of fight over the child and 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 offer that at times when the child's coming back to you? And I think if you're not in relationship with the parent, other parent, one of the most important things is making sure you're not when you have big feelings about that person, you're taking that to your listening partner and not taking that to your children because it's going to be almost impossible for your child to have a closely attuned, connected, healing relationship with the other parent if they're hearing you speaking badly of them. And I, I realize that's very hard. And, and I mean, I've even done that as well when I've been really annoyed with my partner and had said or made at least let my children know that I was really annoyed with them. And I think it's really, really important to come back and to get lots of listening ourselves so that we're not doing that. 
you know, I think that's a really, really important point. And that, another thing I was thinking is having um, like a little thing that you kiss all your love into. I do that with Marley and, and a necklace. So she wears a little love heart necklace, but just even like a toy or a little love heart or something that you kiss it in that they can hold when they need to um, and feel that. And another game I was thinking of as you were speaking was the don't go to sleep game. That's often a great game for dads to play, which is, you know, you, you say to them like, whatever you do, don't go to sleep. There's no sleeping in this room and like try and rip the blankets off them and, you know, peel their eyes open. And and then you can play that in the reverse, which is, you know, you sort of say to them, right, it's, you know, it's time for us to go to sleep now. Everyone quiet down and no dancing on the bed and no going crazy and pretend to shut the door. And then, you know, you come in and of course they're doing all the things that you've told them not to do. And, you know, Clint loved playing that with the girls in those, in those early days where he was, you know, starting to lie with them both to sleep and you know those sort of things so I think that that's really a beautiful way to sort of build that connection as well and yeah and I think the the co-parenting thing is tricky I think what you shared is really really beautiful and, and I think it's important for us to yeah just have loads and loads and loads of listening you know that be with your, your listening partner an empathy buddy a therapist you know a best friend someone who can just hear you and and hold you through that so you can you know show up and be very connected to your child and not feel that that you know that charge that might be sitting there mm. yeah I love that there's so many beautiful games that that other parents can be playing with the child and and the yeah. more that they do that then of course the more beautiful that relationship is yeah mm. yeah and I, I wanted to speak a little bit about a time where I did realize that I had become you know my body and that association had become a control pattern with Kiki and she was probably Oh, maybe nine months, I reckon, or 10 months. I really started to notice that every time she cried I'd, and I'd pick her up, she would stop crying. And at first it just, you know, she would hurt herself, I'd pick her up. She would, you know, things like that. And then over time I went, oh, okay, this is interesting. And so I stopped picking her up straight away and just sat down next to her and rubbed her back and said, I'm here with you. And we had some beautiful, you know, big releases and that would really moved into you know her really healing and then it became she actually didn't even want me to pick her up anymore she was actually okay like if she bumped herself or you know so I think there's that curiosity piece and that has sort of ebbed and flowed you know as she's gotten older like even now sometimes I find that if I go straight into picking her up she will stop crying and that's not what's actually needed in that moment so it is about me just sitting down with her and you know rubbing her back and listening to her some of her feelings first and really going through some of the accumulated things that might be there and then saying to her would you like a cuddle and that's where you often get those beautiful deep you know connection afterwards so I think it is we do you know we forget sometimes and we slip back into things you know we're busy we go in you know life and, and and things happen where we just lose track in our children remembering that the control pattern that's there is there for a reason that it's there to keep them safe that it's not a bad thing we're not a bad parent we're, you know the shame and everything can often come in like it's so easy for us to go oh my god I haven't been aware parenting and I haven't been listening to feelings and oh, I really need to pick up on the play or maybe we're doing loads of play and not listening or loads of listening and no play and you know we're trying to find that balance and then slowly you know it happens so so ever so slightly that you start to see them just going back into one of their control patterns 
and that we can hold that with tenderness and go, okay, yeah, there's something there for them and now I can bring my presence, you know. And so if it is breastfeeding an older child or if it is, you know, them being picked up all the time or, you know, sucking their thumb or holding their toy or whatever that is, that we can start to maybe bring a bit of presence in and offering that connection again and play with the idea of, well, maybe we can bring a partner in. You know, maybe they're more willing now that they're a bit older and they can clearly see that, you know, when they're babies, we're still trying to understand what they're communicating. But as they get older, we can clearly say, no, this is about feelings. This is not about, you know, they've eaten dinner and, you know, everything. They're in their pajamas and they're getting ready for bed. And this is clearly about needing a release. So often that's where that partner are a lot more willing to come in and actually hold the space because we can clearly identify what it is that they're sort of asking for in that moment. Yeah, perfect. Mm. Mm, so hard though, isn't it? It's all really, really tricky. And I just, yeah, wanting to send so much love and acknowledgement to everybody who's who's doing this and navigating it all because there's so many layers to it and it's it's not easy. And being in partnership with somebody whether that's in a relationship or not in a relationship around raising your children is is complex and difficult and yeah it, it's and offering this to our children without the support that we need without the community around us to help is really hard too and you know keep coming back to this understanding that you know to thrive it, we we really need to be living in a in a tribal village community where our children's attachment needs are being met by lots of people not just by us and this work of you know unpacking our own stuff and healing our own stuff whilst we're raising children at the same time is incredibly difficult so yeah so much love and compassion and acknowledgement to everybody on this journey yeah I second all of that So, Danny, what's happening in your world? What's what would you like to share about well, what you? I just have to share that our community is opening again. It's so exciting. We've coming up to where now we just did our final live call. Yes, last night, like yesterday evening, and yeah, and then we're opening up the community again on the twenty fourth of August. I think it is. Does that sound right? Are we closing the community then? I don't know. It's coming out at the end of August. We'll have all the dates and everything to share with everyone soon. Was I right? I'm just checking now. Carry okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to opening that up again. It's just been the most magical process, you know, delving into 12 months of a whole different range of topics in relation to aware parenting and just, yeah, really honoring all the beautiful parents that chose to be with us over those 12 months and journey together and, you know, showing up for live calls and Facebook lives and sharing in circle and being really vulnerable. And, and again, you know, just really being willing to do the work and show up and how amazing they all are and so we're looking forward to opening it up once again and inviting lots of beautiful new families to come in and join us for another 12 months yes yeah I know it's been so amazing isn't it such a honor and pleasure to have been witnessed all these amazing people doing doing work and offering this to their children and and exploring their own stuff and and turning up and showing up and learning and implementing and practicing and questioning and reflecting. And it's been so beautiful to be part of that. So yeah, the doors reopen for the next year on the 28th of August and they close on the 22nd of September. And then the community will start on the 25th of September for another year. And once the doors close, that's it. We're, we're not going to be opening them again. 
It's a really safely contained space where people can get to know each other and to feel really safe to share. So we are going to be making some changes to the structure and we'll probably share more about that over the coming weeks. I think we might even be having a conversation about that. But yeah, we're really, really excited about offering it again. It's been such a joy. Yeah, it's been amazing. And I just adore working with you and being in the space together. It just feels so nice. And yeah, yeah, it's just beautiful. So easy and flowy and just, yeah. It's yeah. yeah, indeed. Indeed. And we've got a couple of other things that we're going to be offering that we'll probably share more about in the coming months, mm-hmm. which are going to be really beautiful too. So I'm really looking forward to that process. What else are you doing, Danny? Um, what else am I doing? I'm still running my six circle container locally here, which I'm loving. And I think we're up to circle three or circle four. It goes so quickly. I think it's circle four actually and it's been a really beautiful discussion just around partners and intimacy and you know what what does self-compassion look like it's been really lovely I um, also run mother gather on a Tuesday morning every fortnight of the the school term and I had 15 mums come to that all with babies all practicing sort of aware conscious parenting yay so that was really beautiful just to yeah sit in that and just watch all these amazing mummers talk about you know what's happening for them and they all spoke about what self-compassion looks like for them and that felt like incredible just to hear and that it is really hard basically it's really hard um and we don't have the support in the village that we truly need so that's yeah that was really nice and yeah what else that's kind of it lots of sessions one-to-one and in person doing a few more in person which I'm really loving it's nice to sort of see people physically but yeah still doing lots of online and obviously all our magic bats we're weaving together behind the scenes which I'm excited to share more of Mm. into the world what about you, Josh? Besides your very special news about becoming a level two instructor, I think in every space that I've been with you, I'm like, oh, we just want to celebrate it one more time. It's just <laughs> such an amazing achievement. And I know that there was so much in the lead up to that, but I'm so celebrating you stepping out and doing that because you really, as I sort of said last night in the community, you so embody everything <laughs> that a level two instructor has and just your wisdom, your knowledge, your compassion, your empathy, the way you are with your kids, the way you share aware parenting. It just is so inspiring. And I think so many of us look up to you because you've got these two beautiful, you know, older teens and young adult out in the world, like really, you know, doing all the things and I just, you know, they're beautiful humans as well so yeah we're just so inspired by you so I'm really excited for you in this next journey and I'm just imagining all the amazing instructors who are going to be learning from you and how deeply blessed they are to be learning from someone like you and yeah so just a big congratulations around that as well oh thank you so much Danny it's so beautiful I never get never get tired of hearing you say all those beautiful things about me it means so much to me and I'm so grateful for all your support in the big process leading up to it all that was um yeah thank you for holding my hand and for supporting me through that that was really really lovely and I'm just so acknowledging what all of us are doing as aware parenting instructors. We really are sharing this. And what you were saying about your in-person group, having 15 parents show up who are trying to offer this kind of conscious aware parenting to their children. That's amazing. And I was just looking online that um, the Aware Parenting in WA group, that now has 65 people in it. And, you know, back in the beginning of this process, there were two of us. So it is it is growing. It is amazing. And, and I love all the work that everybody's doing to share it more and more. 
And yeah, I'm really excited about the things that are coming that we're going to offer. I think they're going to be so beautiful. And yeah, I guess I'm doing the same thing. My Web Parenting Teenagers course is still ongoing. I'll be doing a live round of that soonish. I'm doing a new workshop on offering aware parenting and natural learning together because there are so many parents now who's who've been raising their children with aware parenting and now they're coming up to the school age and they're thinking about, you know, questioning whether sending their children to school is really the best thing for their child's well-being and for the well-being of the family and and how to navigate that process of deeply loving all of the beautiful things about aware parenting, like non-punitive discipline and close connection and attachment and listening to feelings and attachment play and how that doesn't always sit necessarily with going to school, unless of course you've got access to a beautiful school that actually supports these things. But for most parents, going to school, school is not an environment where any of that is offered. So they're exploring options. So I really love sharing about that and supporting people to make that choice if that resonates for them and to uh, share how I've navigated that journey, how we've traveled those joys and challenges in my family, because obviously we've done that right since the beginning and now up to year 12 and beyond. So yeah, that's beautiful. I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be uh, maybe the second weekend of September, but I will confirm that that's an online workshop. And I am also still in the process of finalizing my aware partnering in parenthood course, which of course is going to speak about all this in lots of detail. And I've been working on it all year and I have keep keep getting nearly there, but it is coming soon. So if anybody's interested in that, that will be available in the next few months once I get to it. So much to do, isn't there? And <laughs> but- then, yeah, because I'm going to be offering a level two introduction to a web parenting course, which is a six hour course that I have to do as part of my uh, ongoing level two service. So that will be for people who want to become aware parenting instructors that will meet that requirement as part of their level one certification. So I'm really looking forward to offering that. And I'm looking forward to bringing in all the different elements of aware parenting, but also the big around lots around us doing our work, self-care, all that kind of thing. So yeah, that will be sometime in probably late October, early November. Yay, so many beautiful things. I'm so celebrating you and your expansion and growth in, yeah, becoming a level two instructor and offering more. And I think it's amazing and, yeah, really, really inspiring. Thank you so much, lovely. Mm-hmm. All right. So, sending so much love to everybody listening as always. And if you've got any questions or thoughts or reflections, please come and share them with us. And, again, if there's anything you want us to talk about, let us know. There's a couple of things that we're going to be talking about in the coming conversations that have been requested by people so we look forward to sharing about that and sending lots of love in the meantime lots of love thank you for joining me on aware parenting stories i hope you enjoyed this episode to find out more please visit my website www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at aware parenting with joss I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.